0: Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today.
1: And we're live. Hello. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Good. Well... Before we jump into this week's story, we do have a bit of an announcement, don't we? We do. I feel like we need to kind of just rip this off like a band-aid. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. So Alex has decided he's going to be stepping back from the podcast. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, it's it's not anything other than it's been it's too much of a time commitment. And I have a lot coming up for work that I just don't think that i'm going to be able to do both very well and yeah i think i just need to step away but i am really appreciative of all the positive support we've gotten over the past two and a half years people that leave comments that say i'm funny or something yeah thank you totally Um, i mean i have been star of the show but (laughs) exactly um
0: our fans are really your fans
1: (laughs) exactly and it's my podcast of course so (laughs) right uh anyway i hope you stay around for stuff on her own, Um, and if you don't, I might find you.
0: Oh, oh. threatening. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, let's be so clear, I am not going anywhere. I will still be here telling you all stories just as I've always done, and it is possible that Alex may be back when he can, but as of now, I am your host with the most, and I love that. Sometimes podcasts need to shift gears a little bit to be able to transform and grow, And that's all this is, is a little shift. But the show is a lot of work and a lot of time. So I thank all of you who listen and for being here and for your continued support. And another great way to show support for our show is by heading over to our Patreon.
1: Yes, of course. The (laughs) only reason that we're still here.
0: Exactly. No, truly. I mean, it keeps the lights on, so to speak. But we've got a bunch of bonus episodes that our patrons vote on every month, as well as access to our Discord server and Close Friends list, which Alex will still be a part of. But anyways, why don't we head into our story for this week? And speaking of the Patreon, this was actually one of the choices in our most recent polls for our bonus episodes. But it was not selected. It was not selected by our patrons, but... Quite a few people really wanted to hear it. So point being, we tell really good stories over there, guys. That's all I'm saying. This is a story about a helicopter going into a volcano.
1: I don't think you could get a better tagline. Thank you. So let's get into (laughs) it. it. Who doesn't want to hear about that?
0: Exactly. So let's get into it. In November of 1992, Hollywood cameraman Mike Benson was on a big job in Hawaii. Specifically, he was there to shoot the Pu'o'o vent in Kilauea. Say that again. Yeah, okay, I need to say from the jump, I am so sorry if I butchered that Hawaiian pronunciation. I did look it up, and there were multiple pronunciations that were presented to me. I really tried. It said Pu'o'o. Pu'o'o. So to shoot this volcano, he would be filming out of the side of a helicopter. Mike said that aerial photography was a real passion of his. Every time he got into a helicopter, he was always excited about doing it. And coming along on this journey with him was Mike's camera assistant, Chris Duddy. His job was to mount the camera, prepare it for filming, and, you know, just assistant duties. They had already worked on three or four films together, but Chris had never worked in a helicopter before, and it was Mike's doing to have Chris there with him in the helicopter. But the men were in good hands. Their helicopter pilot that day was Craig Hosking. He was one of the most experienced pilots in Hollywood. He flies helicopters and airplanes doing camera work and stunt work in the business. He and Mike would work together to line up the exact right shot.
1: Oh, he was in the business.
0: He's in the biz, baby. Ooh. They had already worked on four or five films together, so these men felt like they were a little family at that point. They all knew each other quite well. The team saw some amazing things while flying over Kilauea. Craig said while they were flying along the coast, they saw the waves crashing on the black lava flow that goes down to the ocean, and at one point there was a black lava tube that opened up and they saw the red hot lava shooting into the ocean, which produced this great white plume of smoke that billowed up. They couldn't believe what they were seeing, and better still, they were getting paid to do it. Hell yeah. They were filming for the big-budget Hollywood thriller, Sliver. And more specifically, they were getting a shot for a part of the movie where a helicopter seems to descend into the vent of Kilauea. And the vent is basically just the opening of the volcano, if that wasn't clear. The hole. The hole, yes. Legend has it that the vent is home to the most powerful of all the Hawaiian gods, Madame Pele. Pele is the Hawaiian goddess of fire and volcanoes. She is said to be the creator of the Hawaiian Islands, and native Hawaiians believe Pele lives in Kilauea Volcano. In Hawaiian religion, the volcano goddess has become a symbol of power and resilience. Pele's residence, Kilauea Volcano, remains the most active volcano in the world. The volcano, situated in Volcanoes National Park, has had repeated eruptions of lava from the summit for the past few decades. The Hawaiians believe that the goddess herself regulates the volcanic activity in Kilauea and other volcanoes in Hawaii Island. There is a cyclical nature to the way the volcano eruptions both destroy and create the land. In the past, Pele's wrath has destroyed many villages and forests as they have been covered by lava and ash. However, the molten lava that Pele sends down the side of the volcano has added 70 acres of land to the southeastern coast of the island since 1983. The duality of life and death, volatility and fertility, destruction and resilience are all embodied within the figure of Pele. In modern-day Hawaii, Pele is still very much a part of the living culture. It is considered extremely disrespectful to remove or take home lava rocks from the islands. Tourists are warned that this could cause them bad luck, and there have been many instances where tourists from all over the globe have sent back the rocks that they have stolen, believing that it is Pele's wrath that has brought bad luck into their homes and lives.
1: They're blaming Pele for the problems
0: i don't know i or wouldn't
1: pele's giving it to him
0: i yeah i don't know i wouldn't fuck with pele
1: she sounds like she doesn't mess around
0: i wouldn't you know? i wouldn't mess the with most it.
1: powerful of all the hawaiian gods you exactly want to piss her off no on a tuesday no
0: on no days it's also disrespectful to eat the berries that grow along the sides of the crater where pele lives without paying respect to her and asking for permission Folklore says that Pele at times appear to the people of Hawaii in disguise, warning them of upcoming volcanic eruptions. There are urban legends of an old woman in Kilauea National Park whom drivers have picked up only to look in their back seat through the mirror and find it empty. Whoa. Creepy.
1: Wait, are these real stories? We need to bring them on.
0: Folklore says. They're saying.
1: What do you mean folklore? Folklore. I mean,
0: there are stories of people who have said there's been an old woman that sit in my back seat. I want to
1: find those people.
0: Well, I don't know those people personally. Could you
1: imagine? Spooky. She's not there. Spooky.
0: Spooky. From Mike, Chris, and Craig's understanding, it was a sign of respect and, I guess, an offering to Pele to drop a bottle of gin into the vent of the volcano, which would, I guess, grant them passage to fly over the volcano and ensure that no harm would come to them.
1: Wait, they, they dropped a bottle of gin?
0: So that's what their offering to, to Pele was.
1: Hell yeah. Tonic and limes?
0: That would be a better offering. Chris had the bottle of gin, and Mike yelled to him, When we get over the volcano, I'll tell you when to throw it in. But the hot air coming up out of the vent is pretty turbulent, and when Chris threw the bottle, the air blew it, and it landed on the edge of the vent. So it didn't actually go inside of the volcano. Mike teased Chris because he said it was kind of a wussy throw. And the crater was actually two and a half miles across. So he thought it was hysterical that Chris missed it. He's like, <laughs> it was like throwing it into the Pacific. You, How can you miss the hole?
1: <laughs> Wait, he threw it too early
0: then? Or I don't know exactly how he threw it wrong, but he's like, I don't know how you missed the hole. It's like two and a half miles wide and you missed it. Damn. But ultimately they agreed that it was okay. Pele would get the idea. So even though they didn't make it into the hole. Yeah. They're like, okay, it's fine. Pele, Pele gets it.
1: (laughs) This feels like when my parents would be like, we would skip church on Sunday and then they would go. God understands. God
0: understands. We were at
1: a hockey tournament.
0: Exactly. God
1: understands. Right.
0: So (laughs) even though their offering hadn't been received, they went for the take. Craig lowered the helicopter to the edge of the crater. And even a couple hundred feet above the crater, the men said they could feel the heat coming up. As they arrived near the edge, they would tilt the camera down inside and zoom in toward the lava to get the effect that they were fully dropping into the vent. Once Mike said cut, they got the take, and they agreed Craig should take them down so they could review the footage they got and go from there. Once they were on the ground and reviewing the footage, Mike wasn't very satisfied. He noticed that the shot was only around three or four seconds long, which didn't seem long enough to him. Chris thought it was a good take, but when you're making a movie, you always get more than one take, so you have options, or if there are problems with any of the other takes, you have a backup. Also, Mike said there's a bit of ego involved. They didn't just want to get a good shot, they wanted to get the perfect shot. They wanted to put something on film that nobody else had ever done before. So with that, they decided they'd go back up and try for another take. When he was filming, Mike said he'd never felt any sense of danger being up in a helicopter. His mind was completely occupied with the task at hand. He felt protected by the little metal walls he was surrounded by, and said he felt far more concerned with the traffic in L.A. than he did with the traffic in the sky. Fair enough. For this next pass, he told Craig he wanted to go a little lower and faster, if that was okay with him. And it was. They weren't doing any stunt flying, and it was pretty straightforward. Or at least that's how it seemed. But as the helicopter passed over the crater rim, it experienced catastrophic engine failure. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Not good. No. The first thing they heard and felt was the RPM decreasing. Usually, in an engine failure, there would be a quick deceleration, but this time, it was slowly decreasing. As they lost control and were slowing down, the helicopter shook as they listened to the warning beep over and over, telling them that something was wrong, which you never want to hear, and they were in complete whiteout conditions in smoke, so they couldn't see anything in front of them or to the sides. As they were plummeting down, The next thing Craig said to Mike and Chris was, we're going down, which is the only other thing you never want to hear. (laughs) Jesus. He had a second or two of holy shit before he sprung into his emergency procedures. But what made this one extra challenging was choosing the right spot to land, because they were going straight into a volcano and they couldn't see where they were going to land. Mike and Chris had no idea what was going on. They just had to hold on and hope they didn't die. And by some miracle, Craig managed to crash land them on solid ground and not into lava. Chris didn't even realize they were inside the crater of the volcano. All three men were physically okay, except Craig, who had a laceration over his eye.
1: That's it? Yep. I can't believe that he land- he's in the eye of the volcano.
0: There, yes, they're in the volcano.
1: But there's land.
0: Yes, there is solid ground.
1: How lucky. It's two and a half miles wide? Mm-hmm. And all lava? Is it all lava?
0: It's not all lava.
1: I, I guess not, but how much? I'm imagining, like, nothing but lava. No,
0: you know there are mean? lava pools.
1: Okay, but then it's not, like, completely orange. It's pools of orange. Yeah. Okay.
0: Point being, they landed on solid ground inside the volcano.
1: It's pretty remarkable.
0: It is. As the men got out of the helicopter, they were surrounded by thick white smoke, which was actually toxic gases, and they were surrounded by pools of lava. They had fortunately missed a steam crater by a few hundred yards, and they were about 50 yards away from a lava pool. So, of all of the places in the volcano, it was probably the safest place they could have landed, if you can call the bottom of a volcano safe. The crew was stuck in a poisonous mix of carbon dioxide, sulfur dioxide, and hydrogen chloride. This gas had a terrible taste, and every time they took a breath, their lungs would burn. They knew if they didn't get out of this gas and get fresh oxygen, they wouldn't make it out of there alive. They just weren't sure how long they would last breathing this stuff in. But there was nowhere to go. The ground was, of course, hot on their feet, and they could hear the gurgle of lava from the pool only yards away from them. They realized as they looked up that they were actually inside the crater of the volcano. Craig decided he'd try the radio to call Mayday, But as he tried it, he found that they had no power. The helicopter's electrical system had been destroyed in the crash. It seemed at that point that climbing out was their only option. They tried walking north, but they soon realized that was a bad decision, because that was one, in the direction of the lava pool, and two, as they got closer to it, the air quality got even worse. So that was an obvious no-go. They turned around and decided, since they were all in good shape, they should try climbing up and out. It would be about a 300-foot climb, but the inside of this crater was like a bowl. So at the bottom, where they were, it was less steep, but as you got higher, it got steeper and steeper until it was basically a 90-degree rock face.
1: Wow. And they have no harnesses.
0: No, no. The first 100 feet was pretty easy, but after that, it got pretty treacherous. The incline wasn't the only issue. The volcanic rocks they had to grab onto were also extremely sharp. They were basically like grabbing onto needles. The rocks would also crumble and break away, which would send them back down and as they climbed higher, they were of course very hot and sweaty from being inside a volcano, but also expending a lot of energy trying to climb. Chris managed to claw his way up ahead of Craig and Mike, but without realizing it, he climbed his way up to a part of the crater wall that was near vertical cliff face. He compared it to being like a little kid climbing a tree. He had climbed up, but he couldn't go any higher and he couldn't climb back down but it was far worse than being a little kid in a tree because the rocks...
1: (laughs) Because you're a grown man in (laughs) a (laughs) volcano.
0: Because, you know, you're a grown man in a fucking volcano. Because the rocks he was holding on to were not very stable and the spot he was at was so dangerous and sheer he couldn't move or he could easily fall to his death. Yeah, that. Yeah, also that. And, as a reminder, he still had to breathe in the toxic white gas that made his lungs burn as he held on to this sheer rock face. All he could do was yell to Mike and Craig to not come this way, because he was stuck. Mike and Craig were 50 feet below Chris. The two were standing on a little ledge that was about 3 feet long and 18 inches wide. The air was a bit better on this ledge, so they decided to sit and try to come up with a plan. They tried to yell to Chris, but they had lost him in the smoke. Climbing out wasn't working. Craig felt the only way they could get out was if they got power back into the radio somehow to call for help, which meant he had to return to the crash site. He decided Mike shouldn't go with him because he was the only one who knew how the helicopter electrical system worked, and there was no need for Mike to go back into the potentially deadly gases for no reason. It was a long shot, but Craig felt it needed to be done. After climbing back down, he disappeared into the dense white smoke once again. He inspected the helicopter for as long as he could, until the poisonous fumes became too much and he needed to get out of there. Thankfully, Craig had discovered a small hill about a 100 feet from the helicopter, where the wind would blow just right for a few moments, and the air was almost breathable. So he'd have to run back and forth between the hill and the helicopter so he'd be able to breathe. Because down at the crash site, the air was unbreathable. There were several times Craig would fall on his trips back and forth from his hill and to the helicopter. The lack of oxygen down there was really taking a toll on him. But eventually he found a camera battery, and the camera they had used a 24-volt battery which was the same voltage the helicopter electrical system used.
1: Shout out.
0: Right? Craig only had a pocket knife, but he was able to cut the end off the battery cable, spread the wires, strip them down, and using the camera battery, he plugged it into the overhead panel on the helicopter to get the electrical system working, which started up the radio. Pretty sweet. Hell yeah. He did get the radio to turn on,
1: And he turned on to 99.5 W-Y-X-E.
0: Yeah. And he made frantic mayday calls. Right. Which were interrupted by his rush to the small hill for fresh air. Because, you know, you have to breathe. But then he would return to make more mayday calls. Of course. And finally, one of these were picked up by a passing tourist helicopter who alerted emergency services. The guy he initially got a hold of couldn't believe what Craig was telling him. He kept asking, you're in the crater? And you're alive?
1: <laughs> he just couldn't believe it. Yes, King.
0: Yeah. Yes, please call please for help.
1: me help now.
0: Holy shit. But Craig was able to get the message out that they needed urgent assistance, so help was finally on the way. And he was able to run back up the hill and yell to Mike and Chris that he had gotten a mayday out. They were going to be out of there by dinner.
1: <laughs> I don't like that he has set a timeline. It always doesn't go the way.
0: Famous last words, right? Right? hmm
1: The fact that we're telling it, the fact that you're only about halfway, makes me feel like this, isn't it?
0: Actually, you're correct. I'm halfway
1: see i know these things okay (laughs) i've been doing this for years Mm -hmm. i'm a tenured podcaster now Mm -hmm. i'm an expert in the industry i know when we're halfway and when we're not
0: congratulations
1: (laughs) and i'm leaving kind of i'll be here
0: all right chris and mike heard that craig was coughing and yelling and that he couldn't breathe and they knew that he was having a really hard time as low as he was he told Mike not to come down there, he couldn't breathe and he needed oxygen, and then Mike and Chris didn't hear anything from Craig again. They were extremely worried that Craig had just died at that point. But really, he had managed to get back on the radio and had made contact with the pilot of the rescue helicopter. At that time, the rescue helicopter was just above the crater, but poor visibility made it impossible for a rescue attempt. The pilot helped coordinate a ground rescue team, and eventually, after struggling through dangerous terrain, the ground rescue team made it to the crater rim, far from Mike and Chris. They could only just make out Craig and the crash site through the fog. At that time, it was around 3.30 p.m., and the men had been inside the volcano for around four hours. The ground rescue team was on the side of the crater near the lava pool, which, if we remember, had the worst air quality of all. They could see Craig, and told him he needed to come that way toward them. Craig didn't want to run straight for the lava pool and the toxic air, but he did want to be rescued, so he made a mad dash to be as close to them as possible. But as he got to the lava pool and into the thickest toxic smoke, he looked up and the rescue team had retreated back for some reason. So Craig had to run back to the helicopter. By that point, he was extremely weak, but managed to make it back to the crash site. When he made it onto the radio to talk to the rescuers, they could hear how weak he sounded. They knew he was dying at that point, and he needed to be rescued now. So Don, the rescuer talking to Craig, asked him, If I can get to you, do you have the strength to get onto this helicopter? That was a very big decision to make, because the conditions out there were extremely dangerous, and to rescue Craig could have killed them. But Don knew that if they didn't, Craig would certainly die. So they made the decision to try. Don lowered the helicopter into the thick, swirling smoke, He had zero visibility and was facing the possibility that the smoke could starve his engine of oxygen and he could crash into the crater as well. Craig tried to scream to Mike and Chris for them to come down to the crash site quick, that there was a helicopter coming, but they couldn't hear him over the sound of the helicopter. Mike and Chris were trying to yell to each other, but they couldn't hear each other over the sound as well. Craig waited, in and out of consciousness, directing Don, blindly, until he saw the helicopter lower down in front of him. He climbed in the back with the last ounce of energy he had in him. And then they took off once again, Don doing probably the most extreme helicopter flying of any person ever. From Chris and Mike's perspective, they hear a helicopter come in, and then they hear what sounds like a helicopter abort mission— they didn't realize that they had just picked up craig and left it's not because don didn't want to save mike and chris it's because they didn't have time to wait so craig got saved but chris and mike did not
1: well that sucks yep you know
0: but also craig would have died
1: craig was on his last legs yeah yeah i mean you got you had to do it but i don't know are they gonna immediately go back i mean it's gonna be hard to find them they're in smoke
0: Yeah, they can't immediately go back.
1: Right. Tell us about that.
0: Okay, I'll tell you about that. At that time, it was 6.30 p.m. It had been seven hours that they were inside the volcano. The temperature inside began to plummet, which means they were in grave danger of hypothermia. Imagine crash landing into a volcano and then dying of hypothermia.
1: Hilarious.
0: That would be funny. I'm sorry.
1: I would... I would allow it. At my funeral?
0: <laughs> That'd be a pretty funny obituary.
1: It was a bit the whole time. Wait, so why does it plummet? It's at night? Yeah. The lava just doesn't burn no more?
0: The lava's there, but they're not by the lava. They're on the, the face of the crater. We'll,
1: we'll go back down.
0: Well, they can't. They're stuck. And they're also, if they go back down, they'd be in the smoke. But warm. But they'd die of the smoke.
1: Come back up. Cold. Go back down.
0: Okay. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> You're an ass.
1: Come up, go down. I don't understand what the problem is. Alternate going up and down.
0: You are. You an don't ass. need
1: sleep. Shut up. Go back down. Come back up.
0: What? Like it's hard? Like
1: it's hard to be in a volcano. Oh, you
0: crash landed into a volcano and you were stuck in there. What? Like it's hard? Yeah. Okay. Mike and Chris were on the wall of the crater. Correct. And it was getting cold, and their throats were getting constricted from breathing in all the toxic fumes, and they thought they may suffocate if they had to stay in there overnight, and now they were dealing with dehydration. There were little drips of water and mist coming down from the crater walls, and Mike tried to gather moisture in a small, shallow piece of equipment that he had in his pocket. It was almost the size of, like, a bottle cap. It was very tiny, but it was something— But when he tasted a bit of the moisture he had collected in it, it was awful. It tasted like sulfur, and it was vile. There would be intermittent rainstorms which left the men soaking wet. Chris was freezing cold, and he wasn't sure the rock he managed to sit on would be able to hold his weight all night. As it got dark, he had given up hope that they would ever see a rescue team. But finally, the rescue team returned. They leaned over the side of the crater and called down to Chris and Mike that they were there. They couldn't attempt a rescue at that time because it was too dangerous, but they would be nearby for the night. And in the morning, they would go for a rescue attempt. And that was very crushing news for Chris and Mike, because they know the rescue team is there, but there's nothing they can do.
1: Yeah, and they aren't sure if they'll survive the night.
0: Exactly. They felt like that was their last night they were ever going to have. As the night went on, the men got even more wet and more cold. It was really difficult to see, and even worse than that, it was extremely difficult to breathe. Chris said he was having a hard time keeping his eyes open for more than a few seconds at a time, so he made himself a little tent out of his sweatshirt just by pulling his head inside of his sweatshirt and breathing shallowly. Mike was wondering to himself what in the hell he was even doing there. He was so hopped up on adrenaline he couldn't sleep, so he spent his time watching the lava below. He said it was basically like a light show, all the different reds and oranges flashing through the mist. It almost felt like a movie set. Sometimes he could yell to Chris, and they could hear each other, but there were moments when they couldn't hear one another. Every once in a while they would hear landslides happening around them, and Chris said he felt like their chance of survival was around 20 or 30%. He felt like they were most likely going to die. And Mike knew how negative Chris had been feeling about the situation and was getting very concerned that Chris was getting ready to jump and just end it all. Which leads us to day two, 6 30 a.m. It had been 19 hours inside the volcano. Mike was definitely the voice of encouragement, and Chris was relying on him at that point because he was just about ready to give up. Mike kept yelling up to Chris that they were coming for them and not to give up hope. Mike was feeling very guilty, because he felt like it was his fault that Chris was there in the first place. He was the one who told him to hop into the helicopter and come with them for the ride, so if Chris didn't make it out of there alive, Mike would feel very responsible. Both men were waiting and waiting for the rescue team. And they didn't know it, but outside the cone of the volcano, the weather was far more severe. Despite the dangerous conditions, the rescue team made it over to Mike and Chris's side of the volcano. Mike saw a rope appear about 15 feet away from where he was standing. And he thought about trying to jump for it, but he figured the rescue team would be able to get closer to him. So he yelled up to them to go more to the left. The rescuers weren't able to get close to the edge of the volcano because it was so unstable, so they just had to toss a rope over the side and hope that Mike and Chris could grab onto it and basically climb up. They could barely hear the men's instructions about where to go. The second rope was about 10 feet away from Chris. It was getting closer, but still wasn't enough. If he would have jumped and missed the rope... It would have been all over for him. They were getting closer each time, so they decided to wait it out. They thought third time would be the charm. The third time, the rope was six feet away, and Mike could almost reach it. He actually decided that he was going to dive for it. And as he was just about to jump, they pulled the rope up. Thankfully, he didn't jump, but he was about to. And even worse than that, That was the last opportunity he'd have, because the weather above was getting worse, so the ground rescue team needed to retreat. They had been sitting there for around 28 hours, and Chris told Mike he couldn't continue sitting there anymore. He had to try and scale out. Mike told him not to do that, because they knew rescuers were there, so it was only a matter of time before they got out. But Chris felt like he was going to die in there anyway, so if he died climbing, at least he was doing something. Before he stood up and started climbing, he said goodbye to everyone in his family. His sons were six and four years old. He was having a really hard time thinking about them living without their dad, and if he fell, there was no chance he would survive. He looked up at the cliff again, and all of a sudden he sees this path, and he couldn't believe it. It felt like it just made sense. It was the way out. Mike told him to be careful because there was nothing else he could do. Chris was dead set on climbing out. Chris climbed slowly up, again dealing with the loose, sharp rocks. After around 20 minutes, Mike called up to Chris and asked how far he was. And Chris called down that he was around 5 feet from the top. And Mike called back, When you get to the top, call back down to me and Chris said that he would. Another 10 or 15 minutes goes by, and Mike didn't hear anything. And that was because the last three feet of the cone was just a layer of flat, sheer gravel, and there was no big chunks of rock to grab onto. Mike couldn't see Chris at all, but he was yelling at the top of his lungs for a response, but he got nothing. Chris was at the tippy top of this cliff, holding on for dear life, looking straight down, thinking about what a horrible mistake he had made once again. He was basically holding on to gravel. It was like nothing. This time, there was no way he'd be able to situate himself in a way to sit down. So if he couldn't hold on, he'd plummet hundreds of feet down into molten lava. As a last-ditch effort to get some leverage, he decided to try and stick his arms into the gravel he'd been holding on to, And as he stuck his arms in up to his elbows... It was like sticking his arms into broken shards of glass. But he had to do it. And instead of staying there, he used that leverage and counted to three and pushed himself as hard as he could up and flung himself onto the top lip of the crater and then rolled over the edge, and he was out.
1: Oh my god. So he just shoved his hand into glass, essentially.
0: Both He shoved both of his arms into like the gravel of the very tippy top of the last three feet of the volcano that felt like sticking your arms into shards of glass and, and used he yeeted to... himself over yes and the technical term is he yeeted himself over the edge of the top of the volcano correct
1: holy shit i can't even imagine looking straight up at gravel that's yeah. insane like 90 degrees of gravel
0: 90 degrees of gravel that just and doesn't was... make any sense and he was looking down at lava Yes. And
1: certain death. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, I just really can't think of a higher stakes situation.
0: That's probably one of the most terrifying things I could ever think of. Like, yeah. are you scared if of you heights? If you fuck this up, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, like.
1: Scared of heights? <laughs> how about glass?
0: Heights? Lava? He's...
1: Smoke? Uncertainty?
0: Think about how high up he was. If he fell, he would fall into lava. Like, think about hundreds more... of feet. Think about a more high stakes heights situation. If you fall from that height, you fall into lava. There couldn't be a worse situation. Yeah. He made it up. Reframe. Hey, let's reframe. Hey, he made made it to the top. Look at
1: him go. He
0: did amazing. After laying down for a second and catching his breath, he called back down to Mike that he had made it. But now that he was out, he saw just how bad the weather was outside of the volcano. He couldn't believe how little you could hear. He tried calling down but it was like his voice wouldn't go into the volcano as he stood back up he saw the red rope that had been thrown down to them just sitting there so he picked it up to throw it inside the volcano to get mike since he knew where mike was he was going to save mike but then he thought to himself that he wasn't strong enough to pull mike out chris was in shock he was all cut up he was dehydrated he hadn't slept He was in no condition to try to pull Mike out. He would probably just get them both killed. So he laid the rope down in a line pointing to where Mike was before he started to run down the side of the crater. But as Chris ran away, he loosened a large rock on the edge of the crater and it was sent down into the volcano. Mike, who was still standing on this ledge and hadn't heard anything from Chris in a while, saw this large object Whiz past him, through the smoke, and then he heard this thud. And his immediate thought was that Chris had fallen to his death.
1: Oh my god.
0: So he called out to Chris, who didn't respond. So Mike believed that Craig had suffocated in the smoke below. And now he thinks that Chris had plummeted to his death. So he thought that he was all by himself. As Chris ran around the crater trying to get off of it, he was so exhausted... There was so much thick smoke swirling around him, and there was so much adrenaline pumping through him that he actually almost ran back into the crater. Oh
1: my god, could you imagine?
0: No. That'd be awful. The rescuers had thankfully left some cones in a trail, which he had caught onto, so he was able to follow those to their base camp where they had stayed that night. But he soon discovered that it was empty. The unpredictable weather had not only stopped their rescue mission, but it had also forced the team off of the volcano altogether. Thankfully, they had left behind water in their campsite, but when Chris tried to drink the water, it wouldn't even go down his throat because it was so swollen. It was almost swollen shut. After attempting to drink the water, Chris found oxygen tanks with masks, so he immediately put on a mask to breathe and then decided he'd start hiking until somebody found him or until he hit a highway. And he would have to do a five-mile hike to get anywhere. But Chris, luckily, wouldn't have to make that hike because he was spotted by a passing helicopter immediately. As soon as they grabbed his arms, Chris's body went completely limp. He actually needed to be carried into the helicopter. His body just shut down as soon as he was like, Safe. Safe. He was just like, mm, powered All down. button. Yeah, yeah, done. Chris tells the rescuers that Mike is still alive, but because of the extreme weather conditions, they couldn't make another rescue attempt that day, which meant that Mike was facing a second night in the volcano. By 10.30 p.m., Mike had been inside the volcano for 35 hours. Mike believed he was the only survivor and had given up hope for a while. He almost felt like the only peace he would get would be if he passed away quietly. He thought a lot about his ego and how that was what got them there in the first place. Which is when, he says, he saw Madame Pele in profile.
1: Madame, please.
0: He said it looked like she had long flowing hair. And he said, quote, it was absolutely her. I wasn't hallucinating. It was just like being in the movies. Wow. So he said he saw Pele.
1: Did he ask her if she liked Jen?
0: I don't think so. I don't think they conversed.
1: <laughs> they just stared.
0: Probably. Somewhere around three in the morning, he took a rock and etched it into the side of the crater. I love you, Stephanie. Which, can we argue that? That's not a hot take. Right? Not a hot take. I don't Correct. think so. Because he felt like the end was coming soon and there wasn't any reason to live. So this is obviously dark and maybe I shouldn't have joked about that, but I He did. lives, so let's so relax. He, he lives and my name is Stephanie, so... We love that. Which brings us to day three at 10.30 a.m. He had been in the volcano for 47 hours. After two failed ground rescues, Mike's film company hired another helicopter pilot to attempt a radically different aerial rescue. And Mike heard the helicopter approach, and he saw the pilot stick his head out of the helicopter, who shouted down to Mike, Don't do anything stupid. I'll be back in 15 minutes to get a piece of equipment and we'll get you out of there. About a half an hour goes by, and Mike was wondering if they had given up. But then he hears them once again, but now visibility was zero. Until Mike sees a net being lowered down to him. They were lowering it down to where they thought he was because they couldn't see him. Like the rope situation, the first time it was too far. The second time, it was still too far, but then it got caught on a rock, which they thought was Mike's weight, so they powered up and pulled up the rock. And Mike seeing them pull up the rock, he thought they would never come back, but then they lowered it down once again. And this time, the net was about 10, maybe 9 feet in front of him, and he thought he'd have to jump for it. So he dove into the net. And he did it. He literally dove 10 feet. In front of him, to the net. Like up? No, out. Like straight.
1: Oh my god. hmm A yeet of faith.
0: A yeet of faith, yes. And feeling his weight, they put full power and flew him out of the volcano. And as they flew out of there, Mike yelled back to Madame Pele, I won, you lost.
1: Mike. <laughs> Mike. Not now.
0: I know, I thought that too. I was like, maybe don't tempt her, right?
1: She doesn't like gin, Mike. <laughs> Stop it. Or
0: maybe she does like gin and they didn't get it into the volcano and she was pissed.
1: Maybe. But you saw her. Do you want to tempt fate, Mike?
0: That's what I'm wondering.
1: You're still going to have to get the shot.
0: No, 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 no. The shot is gone. No shot. No shot. Mike was flown to their base camp where he was reunited with his wife, Stephanie, and he was extremely surprised to see that Craig was there as well and even more surprised when he saw Chris. He couldn't believe they hadn't died. And both Craig and Chris were also surprised and happy that Mike had survived another night down there. They all couldn't believe that each other was alive. They were like, slay.
1: I mean, you better go get a good dinner tonight.
0: Which is a a, a direct quote. (laughs) They said, slay.
1: They said that.
0: Yeah. The rescuers had taken so long because the pilots that had been working for the government were forbidden to fly into the volcano because the toxic gases damage equipment and cause breathing problems, which now we know, obviously, because that's what happened to their helicopter is it got into the engine and caused failure.
1: Yeah, and then caused breathing problems later. Right. That's why they needed to be rescued.
0: Correct. Thank you. So the final film was cut together with the darker ambiguous ending in place and the test audience for the film promptly rejected it.
1: You're joking. So
0: the trio had nearly died to get the necessary footage and then it was cut in the aftermath of a bad screening.
1: That's hilarious. So
0: the shot that they almost died to get was not used in the final cut of the movie. Can you believe that?
1: They didn't even use it in the screening
0: they, no they so what happens is sometimes they will show the movie to a test audience and then the test audience will tell tell like the movie people what they like and what they didn't like and the test audience didn't like the ending and so they decided to cut that part of the movie with the volcano
1: so the, could you imagine <laughs> them screening this after they died oh god and they're like we don't like the ending and they like everyone in the back rooms looking at each other like, like right
0: okay
1: that, that would happened. be
0: really bad thankfully they survived right? right
1: but they didn't and you know what next time they'll get it in post
0: mm-hmm. they'll do it in a sound stage next time right right mm-hmm.
1: movie magic
0: so chris duddy told premiere magazine back in 1994 quote it pissed me off because we went through all that and I thought it was a way better ending with that in the movie anyway. So they were not pleased to find out that all of that was for nothing.
1: Let me ask you this. How could you be happy?
0: Right. That so. the
1: shot you almost died for didn't even get used in the movie. Exactly. Didn't even make it out of screening. Mm-hmm. It's rough. It's a crock of shit. But you're alive. And there they were, is that.
0: And they were happy about that.
1: And that's a good reframe by and, me.
0: And good for you. Thank you for that. <laughs> All three men are booked and busy in Hollywood. Good for them. Chris Duddy is now a director and producer. Craig Hosking continues to fly helicopters and planes for feature films and is one of the most in-demand pilots in Hollywood. He's worked on Yellowstone, Nope, and Don't Look Up, to name a few, you know. That's incredible. Which, I mean, that's just literally three. He's got a very long IMDb. Um, But Mike Benson has shot many major films and now has his own pilot's license And two other producers asked if he wanted to do aerial photography over Kilauea, and he decided he didn't want to tempt fate, so he turned them down. But most recently, he's worked on Daisy Jones and the Six, which just came out, so congrats to him. Um, But he's worked on a bunch of major films. All three of them are in Hollywood and working in the biz still. In the biz. Yeah. But that's the story of the three of them and their treacherous journey over Kilauea and their journey into it.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah, when you told me the title of this, whatever, base description, I was like, how are they going to crash into a volcano and live? Because my conceptualization of a volcano is that it's all orange. Mm-hmm. It's all lava.
0: Bubbly lava. But
1: it's not. Right. It has like acne pimples of lava pools. Ew. Right? It's kind of, you know, spotty. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. And then I also kind of see it as like clear, but it's full of smoke. Toxic. Right?
0: Gases, yeah.
1: Third, I view it as like rigid rock, but really it's glass shards.
0: Just about. So it's just- And also a god.
1: And god, Pele, slaying, but not. Should've- can we- Pele, can you just be happy with some aviator gin?
0: Well, she didn't get it, so I understand why she was upset.
1: That's true.
0: If there's anything that we want to be clear about is that we respect Pele.
1: We do. The Not
0: Today podcast respects Pele.
1: And we want to make that real clear. And Yeah. I don't want bad juju. No, no. I had no idea about the Hawaiian religion, that they had multiple gods. Like, I'm interested to learn more.
0: It's super interesting.
1: That's so crazy that he saw her and there's stories of people picking her up Mm -hmm. and then she's gone Yeah. That's insane. The other thing about this story is how did he last two days in toxic gas? That just seems impossible because, I don't know, you think about carbon monoxide poisoning in your house. Right. You would suffocate before the end of the night. Yeah. But he can stay in a volcano for two days?
0: Well, the ledge that he was sitting on was like somewhat out of the gas, right? Because at the beginning they were like, we found a ledge that was yeah somewhat out of the gas so he was still breathing in toxic fumes but it was like a lesser degree than other parts of the volcano
1: yeah i mean it had to be but i mean still Mm -hmm. right it's just shocking shocking exactly yeah yeah i don't know you gotta feel real thankful when you when you meet back up with everyone and they're still alive Mm -hmm. i don't know i want i really wonder what their perspective is after all this
0: i'm sure they're grateful you gotta be for the little things but yeah, anyway, what's your good thing?
1: My good thing is that we're doing a dinner party, a we'll party for dinner. Yep. And we're going to yuck it up.
0: We are, we are going to yuck it up.
1: And we're going to have fun. Yeah. And we're going to eat.
0: As we always do. And
1: we're going to drink. And it's going to be a good time. I'm excited for it.
0: Yeah. You stole my good thing.
1: Uh, what is your good thing now?
0: <sighs> you stole it. Hmm. My good thing is we were watching the new season of Ted Lasso, and it's. I've been enjoying it. It's good. It's just, uh, you know, we aren't usually a, a comedy TV show couple, but it's it's been good. It's been nice.
1: We're in it for the drama.
0: We love the drama. We, right. We just We're just not love... in it
1: for the comedy.
0: No, but I mean, sometimes the comedy is good. And I, you know, I would think that Ted Lasso wouldn't be a show that I enjoyed, but it's perfect.
1: It's not on our usual beat. Yeah. Our usual beats like Yellow Jackets. Yeah. Right.
0: That's perfect. Um, But uh, we but... want
1: dark. We want spooky
0: yeah but ted lasso is perfect um and yeah so that's my good thing anyways thank you all so much for listening and bearing with us through this time of transition Yes,
1: thank you for doing that.
0: If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to support the show and check out all the bonus episodes we have up, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or a near-death experience that you would like to send to us and possibly hear on an upcoming listener's episode, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is nottodaypodcast and a Twitter that is nottodaypodcast, but the T on the other podcast is a three.
1: Because that makes sense.
0: And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.